following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Commercial real estate challenges? For 160 years, companies around the world have trusted Savills for expert guidance and perfect workspace solutions. See what Savills can do for you at Savills.us. My name is Matt Perez. My name is Satchel Drakes, and this is Overworld, where we try to be curious, fail at being smart, and talk about video games at the intersection of art, society, and other stuff. But first, a quick break. Taking a moment to thank our sponsors, Veridesk, Rocket Mortgage, and ZipRecruiter. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. You'll hear more about these companies later in the show. Hey everybody, it's Matt. Uh, Satchel is busy this week, but uh, up next we'll have an interview with an awesome founder of a company called Play Versus. They put on formalized uh, esports competitions for high schoolers, which is something that I kind of always wish I had when uh, growing up. Um, you know, when I was in high school, Halo Three had come out, and me and my brother were playing constantly and trying to, you know have competitions there's a site called game battles and uh you know there'd be a ladder solo or duo and we would just like hang out and try to be really good and climb the ladder but it's it was always a a whole thing of self-reported scores and you could tell when teams were probably cheating or doing something cheap that uh that really ruined it for us um but definitely there's a period in high school where the idea of you know trying to pursue doing competition, playing professionally had popped into my mind. Definitely a a month of me quote unquote training to do this. Uh, But, you know, not having something formalized and not having someone to lean on uh, that uh, typical sports have in high school um, definitely dissuaded me from pursuing it further. But it was something that felt enriching for for the the time being that I had uh, tried to pursue it. So, um, I think this is something super valuable and really awesome. Uh, the founder's name is Delane Parnell, CEO, has an awesome story. So uh, let's uh, let's get into it. And joining us now is Delane Parnell, the founder and CEO of Play Versus. Delane, thanks for thanks for uh, joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, my so, pleasure. Yeah, so you're the uh, founder of Play Versus. Can you give a quick synopsis of the company? Yeah, so Play Versus is building the infrastructure around high school esports. Today, uh, kids play video games uh, in a very unorganized, uh, you know, way with no structure and no sort of oversight. And we're introducing video games as a sport, like basketball and football, in almost twenty thousand high schools across the country, so kids can play esports for a state championship uh, and be recognized uh, by their state association. Awesome. And is it kind of like? A, a, like a virtual platform like what what goes into it? like what what does play versus provide yeah and so i guess this is one of those situations where um software esports so we do use um uh and we built an online platform you know web app where uh the matches when the teams are set up where students on behalf of their school register for leagues where teachers have sort of oversight and insight to all of the activity that kids um you know have as they're participating in esports and um you know as a as a team at a school you queue up for your match on game day which most likely you'd be playing in a library or in a computer lab at your school uh you play the game in client um and then we pull back all of the data and we visualize that to you in uh various ways whether it be profile views or stat standards uh, and obviously who your next opponent is for the next week so software is obviously a big part of 
uh, what we built as a company. Yeah, it reminds me, like, when I was in high school, they had, like, game battles, and I always wanted that. Like, I always kind of wanted, like, a high school competition yeah. through that. Uh, so is it kind of like that? Would that be a good comparison? Yeah. Uh, game battles on steroids, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, uh, we, uh, so some of the, I guess, one, the, the difference between game battles and us that were integrated directly into the school, right? So, like, just as you play, um, you know, literally basketball or football or even activities like debate or, or drama or music or band. Like you do esports, so there's a faculty member that oversees esports at your school. Your school supports you playing esports. If you want to uh, win throughout the season and go on to the postseason, you can win an actual state championship recognized by your state association. And so it's literally bringing video games as a sport from a software standpoint, similar in the sense that uh, we we have uh, ability for competition functionality. One thing that game battles was sort of notorious for is that it was self-reported scores. So mm. you had to report like who won or who lost and there was a lot of disputes and um and issues around that we integrate directly with the publishers and so we work with the biggest game publishers in the world they integrate um uh and well we integrate to uh their platforms or their clients um via api so we can pull all of the data and that way all of the one performance data from an individual and team standpoint but also just the match scores and like the simplest um uh like at a high level and like in simple form like are validated yeah, I totally forgot that I had to use to like take screenshots because people totally cheated and yeah. reported the wrong score. Very annoying. Yeah, yeah I, I would liken it to uh, NBA.com, right? But like, imagine a match is also played online because then at NBA.com you have uh, so it one it's built around like game battles was built around individual matches or, or like head to head, right? Or tournaments like short form competitions. Uh, whereas like we're based, like we built you know the first season platform in esports where you play different competition formats over an extended period of time and uh, and there's a lot that goes into that like you need to be able to we we narrate essentially the season for you whether that be through you know news or stats or standings or rankings uh, uh, and all sorts of other stuff and so you think about some of the same uh, some of the same features uh, and sort of nuances that uh, sites like NBA.com or NFL.com and other pro sport league websites have uh, we also have, uh, but you also play the matches on our uh, platform. Yeah, I, I, I didn't even think of that. It's really awesome having like advanced statistics and seeing how you're performing and everything. That's pretty awesome. And you yeah. like partner with publishers as well. You said right? Yeah. Okay. So, like, what was like the first uh, kernel of an idea for this thing? Yeah. Well, one, I was in a high school uh, gaming club. Uh, um, you know, back in Detroit. I'm originally from Detroit. I went to school at a, a school that was called Southfield High School. It's no longer called Southfield High School, but uh, our science teacher, he ran a, a gaming club. Uh, sort of unofficial, but a, uh, a bunch of kids would congregate there, and we play in uh, its seasons across a bunch of different titles, and he'd provide the equipment, and he'd keep track of that standards, and, uh, and he'd award a trophy, you know, to, to every team that won or every person that won in an individual uh, game over whatever the, the course of that season was. Uh, it's interesting, like, I was super in love with that, and it's probably one of the highlights of my life. I never sort of made the connection until maybe last year even that I was building that company. Um, uh, uh, my brother actually established that connection for me, but um, this actually happened really through uh, a series of conversations between uh, myself, uh, Peter Pham, who's one of the co-founders of Science, Mike Jones, who's also a co-founder of Science. Science is a uh, a venture fund and also one of the top incubators in the country. Uh, they incubated Dollar Shave Club, Me Undies, Dog Vacay, which is now Rover, Mammoth Media, which has two top 50 gross maps, 
they've also invested in companies like Medium and Wolffront. And so uh, between us three and then another guy, actually, Matt Mazio, who at the time was running um, uh, a venture fund called Lowercase, which is, I guess, probably the greatest performing venture fund of all time at the C stage uh, based on returns. Um, we, we were just having a conversation around uh, the competition infrastructure for esports. Uh, everything outside of the pro scene, and we looked at all of the demographics, uh, college, you know, middle school, high school, adult rec, uh, and we wanted to build, how do we build, organize, you know, play into esports, especially around a season, like uh, one that mirrors traditional sports. And uh, we, we found that high school is the most valuable demographic, uh, and certainly uh, the impact that high school sports has is probably the strongest across any other sport. So if, if a sport has, a strong and a stable high school system, then that sport typically not only has staying power, uh, but it also you know lasts for multiple generations uh, at the pro level. So uh, esports sort of has this task, this daunting task to become multi generational, and um, there's obviously a bunch of issues uh, around talent, and, um, uh, and and then obviously like how do we get the games into kids' hands as early as possible and teach them how to play a position on an organized team in an organized setting for an extended period, period of time to even prepare them for the next level if those kids go to the next level. Uh, and, like, there's just no use system built. And so uh, we felt that that was sort of a big opportunity, and we were excited to build it. But it, it, it's not the traditional, hey, I had this problem, uh, and I wanted to solve it. You know, it's, it's interesting that this was something that I was passionate about in high school, but I never recognized that even throughout those conversations until my brother made the connection. Yeah. Well, what's the thing? is like right now there's, like, you know, you're hearing about like college scholarships happening with esports, but it's also like like you said, it's like kind of like a problem with the um, with esports right now. Is while we do have competitions, definitely like having that base. Like th- there's there's not enough like minor leagues, and like having that like start at high school seems like like a logical like just makes sense. But also, it's just, like really important for like the longevity and health of the uh, ecosystem. Yeah, for sure. So like yeah, and, and even and even those scholarships, by the way, you need mm-hmm. go on field. Um, I would say the folk go on field because you know colleges are are using some unorthodox you know practices to try to recruit and solicit kids. They're using forums, they're using Reddit, they're using uh, uh, Discord channels, uh, Twitter. Uh, you know, trying to convince kids to come play esports on behalf of their school. Uh, and you know, most of the time, they're asking kids even around know how good they are with their performances and they have very little to actually go by because none of that's validated uh and then also these kids have really never played on uh, an organized esports team they probably play esports and which in most cases is just we play multiplayer games uh and sometimes uh, if uh, if you're lucky they play at win events uh, for whatever game that they're passionate about but they never play uh organized esports because that doesn't exist outside of pro and and obviously college mm-hmm. Yeah, it does seem like um, so much of um, of esports. It's like everything is happening so so fast that like yeah, there's unorthodox methods of like oh, just like throw throw this together really quick and like having something more formalized makes like I mean you're seeing it now with even the professional leagues with like League of Legends and like Overwatch like it's becoming a lot more formalized with like no, it's like actually have franchises and like established leagues so there is like starting to become more of a firmer base i guess yeah yeah absolutely i'm excited about the growth of the industry 
Mm. So, like, wh- how did you actually like hook up with science and like uh, and and pursue this idea to you know actually bring in investments? Yeah, so it's a crazy story. I'll give you the short version. But uh, Matt Mazio and Peter Fram and Mike Jones they uh, they go way back, right? So they were already having conversations um, with a bunch of people about this. They're all from LA, so they're really well connected with the publishers. And Mazio was an investor in Immortals, and he'd done some investments in other esports companies, so he was pretty plugged into the scene. Mike and Peter uh, are both uh, big fans of the game and space, and they've always looked to do. Uh, did not say do as in like either invest or start a company in the state. Uh, and so they've been pretty well informed as well. And so uh, I went to South by Southwest last year, super last minute. Um, went to a party at uh, one of my friends, Rodney Williams, who runs a company called Listener. And um, and and Ryan from Product Hunt, they they and maybe there are some other people there too. Um, they hosted a party called the Culture House together. Uh, and I was walking past. Uh, the dance floor to get some water from the bar, and uh, Peter was literally a hundred something people here. Peter's the only one dancing on the dance floor, and you have to get by him to get to the bar because uh, <laughs> it was pretty packed. And so as I was trying to squeeze by him, Susie Rue, who works, works at Cross Culture, uh, which is a venture fund um, led by uh, Troy Carter and Marlon Nichols. I know Troy Carter pretty well, and so I know. Susie through um, intro of Troy. She grabs me. She introduces me to Peter. We start talking about esports while Peter's dancing, and uh, for like twenty or thirty minutes, and uh, you know, a conversation just sort of started there. And we talked for a few months, uh, and um, you know, Peter had asked me pretty early into it to move to LA, and um, sort of beat me beat me down until I actually did it and <laughs> decided to do it. And, uh, and yeah, we were just off to the races from there. And we'll be right back after this quick break. And this year, the office cubicle turns 50 years old and hails from an age when work was done on typewriters and smoking at your desk was the norm. Today, employees are expecting more from their workspace. They want flexible and active spaces where they can collaborate and feel energized. Veridus Active Workspace Solutions make it easy to encourage more movement to any workday. Being more active at work, like standing more and sitting less, can help improve your health, boost energy, and increase productivity. Veridesk has a variety of desk solutions that replace traditional office setups, require little to no assembly, and are ready to use in minutes. Plus, Veridesk products are made from commercial-grade materials meant to last a lifetime. They're easy to move or reconfigure as businesses change and grow. You can try Veridesk risk-free for 30 days with free shipping and free returns if you're not satisfied. See it for yourself at Veridesk.com. That's V-A-R-I desk.com. And there's ZipRecruiter. Hiring? Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than posting your job online and just praying for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter knew that there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies the people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive, so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. 
One more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. What was that like decision-making like where you had to like decide to move or not? Yeah, you know, so it's always something that, um, you know, I figured I would do, but I was pretty, you know, committed to the Detroit startup scene. I've been um, such an important part into helping establish and build the Detroit startup scene, Easy Creek, Dan Gilbert. Uh, and so uh, I wanted to see that through. You know, I was pretty passionate about that, and I still am. Uh, but I knew that if I wanted to build a, a big company, and certainly a company in esports, like location matters. And um, everything from the pro leagues to, you know, all of the, even the game publishers and most of the investments is happening on the, the, the West Coast, specifically in L.A., and that's where the hub for gaming is, has been built, and so especially esports. And so um, I knew I needed to be there, and I needed to have some presence there. Uh, and so it was really a decision around, like, do you, how bad do you want to do this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, more internal chats about that to myself, and, and obviously I wanted to do it. And so, um, yeah, so I left. I, uh, it was uh, it was a wild time, though, because they, they sort of gave me a deadline um, to, like, just a random call. It was maybe a Wednesday. They told me, hey, if you want to do this, like, you have to be in the office by Monday. Uh, so I decided that Wednesday, as soon as we got off the phone and I was doing it, Convinced my my place to let me out of my lease. Broke got a U-Haul the next day. Gave everything away. Literally everything got owned away. Uh, took my car in uh, uh, to to the dealership. Um, uh, my friend Matt Haig, who goes by Nate Shot, is uh, he's a was a professional gamer, one of the biggest YouTubers in the world, and also is the owner of 100 Thieves, number one team in the LCS last uh, split. Uh, he lived in Playa Vista. I just saw him at the NBA Finals. Um, and he told me that I should move to Playa Vista, and so he got me a hookup at the apartment. Um, they never even ran my credit or anything. They just looked out for me, moved in with a suitcase, never seen the place that I was living in or the neighborhood, and, uh, and just did it. <laughs> it was, I definitely don't recommend that method to anyone, um, uh, but uh, but it was actually uh, pretty fun with that. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Nate. Like, that feels like... like- I don't know. I feel like esports is very like everyone's really connected and everyone's really like pushing toward making this like actually work. It's funny that you bring up Nate Shot because when I was just talking to people in the scene, like I mean, everyone has a great opinion of him, and and it just seems like that's you know everyone's just working toward like making this happen. Yeah, I think uh, uh, I think everyone understands that you know rising tides pulls all boats, and so. Uh, we're all codependent of each other. We have to support each other, um, um, and you know we have to you know try to uh, try to help push this industry forward. Um, one company, one person, um, uh, one one sort of one day at a time. Uh, and so, um, Nate personally, by the way, sorry if this loud. I'm trying to find a quiet space here. Uh, Nate personally, though, is uh, is an incredible guy. I think he's one of the most he's one of the most genuine, one of the most um, uh, probably deserving people in all of esports. Uh, I'm certainly happy to consider him a friend, and, uh, and I'm excited about all the success that he's had, and, and even more pumped about what they're going to do in the future. I think Under Thieves has the best management team in all of esports. Uh, super talented team from uh, just like sort of gameplay perspective, uh, and I think they're going to be they're going to be really big. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hedge my bet that they'd be one of the uh, first uh, billion dollar esports companies. Um, uh, you know, from a team perspective, that'd be awesome. <laughs> so this uh, this past month, you partnered with the National Federation of State High School Associations. Can you talk a little bit about that partnership? 
Yeah, so we actually partnered with them in November of last year. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> but we kept it really quiet. <laughs> so, by the way, that's uh, it's always interesting because we sort of came out of nowhere, right? And, like, you being in the space of esports, you know, no one can hold secrets for too long in the space. <laughs> and so, you know, typically stuff like that will leak, but it never leaked. And so we were pretty uh, impressed uh, by our ability to... Um, you know, be act a little like Magic Leap in that regard. And so, um, yeah, so we partnered with the NFHS, which is the National Federation of State High School Association. They govern and write the plan rules for all high school sports and activities across the country. That includes everything from lacrosse to football to basketball to soccer. Um, and um, that includes also just practically all schools, right, and all high schools uh, in the country. So almost 20,000 schools. Um, and uh, they were looking to work with someone in esports for uh, maybe 18 months or so prior to us even being introduced and having conversations with them. Um, they talked to five companies, five very well-known companies who are all in the space, some publishers, even some third parties who are all in the space prior to us. Um, but they decided that, you know, we were the right fit. And what our partnership entails is that we operate esports parallel to the NFHS, but underneath their governance, underneath their membership, um, and uh Turnkey, right? So all online, offline competitions, we operate wholly. And so we work with them to determine what the structure looks like, what eligibility looks like. Uh, we integrate directly into their existing systems, which means we're embedded into the school fabric. Uh, and we, you know, are sort of a proxy between, we like go and work with the publishers and decide what games we're going to offer, work with the states to ensure that these games align with high school values, um, and sort of operate all of the competition, right? So online league play in the regular season, offline events in the postseason, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, like, the uh, uh, that company, like, they've reached, like, like something like 19,000 schools. Now you're, like, actually, like, integrating with them and, like, talking with them. Like, what's that process like? Is there, um, you know, I know for, like, esports companies talking to at least brands and sponsors and stuff, there's, like, a lot of education that goes into it? Is that, like, part of it where you have to, like, you know, maybe get through a little bit of, like, the stigma or, like, just, like, understanding the space a little bit more and that's, like, part of, like, actually getting this thing done? Yeah, so the NFHS is a nonprofit. They've been around since 1920. Um, uh, and so they're well entrenched, right? Like, they, they are high school sports. Um, and so, and activities for that matter as well. And so, uh, uh, a lot of people don't really understand sort of the behind the scenes stuff that happens to the production of high school sports, but, um, uh, they're a big part of it. And so, uh, uh, yeah, the process, it, and to, to answer your question around them being well informed or not in esports and that sort of education curve, they already known, um, a lot about esports, right? Because they were talking to five other companies for 18 months prior. Um, and so, and they were actively engaging, and they were sort of uh, educating themselves and looking for the right fit. And so, we didn't have to educate them uh, too much on esports. They understood it. They understood the value of it. Uh, they wanted to do it, uh, and they were excited about it. Uh, uh, they were just looking for someone uh, with a vision and obviously the resources, capabilities to do it um, in a way that they thought aligned with their 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 system. And so, uh, we're happy that we we were that company, and it was a pretty quick process. We start talking to them, I believe it was in October, um, through introduction from uh, uh, the CEO of ESL, um, uh, uh, agreed in principle in November, and signed uh, due diligence and signed uh, the contract in January. So it was, uh, for us, a pretty uh, 
it was actually a brutal process and diligence. Uh, lots of back and forth there. Uh, probably that entire three or four months we spent every single day talking on the phone for hours and hours a day and sometimes in person uh, and even between like our legal counsel. But it, it worked out and we're really excited about it. Yeah, how about like when you like do you interact directly with school administrators and like parents and stuff? Is that a part of like what you what you do for your job? Yeah, so at uh, the, so like I guess really all levels, right? There's like three tiers of that. We work directly with the NFHS as well as the NFHS is for profit, which is called the NFHS Network. They um, uh, stream games, so you can watch basketball or football games for ten bucks a month. Um, uh, so Twitch is a paid subscription, and that's actually. Uh, a pretty incredible business, and we're really excited to also work with those guys. Um, uh, and then, obviously, the state association. So each state uh, across the country has an association that governs all of its sports and activities. We work directly with them. Um, and, obviously, then the schools uh, and sort of the administrators, the athletic directors, whomever oversees each sports at that school. Awesome. Yeah. So I'd- three touch points. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go soon, but like, I would, can you tell me a little about like yourself? Like, you said you grew up in Detroit and you played games. Like, what did, what was that like? What, what like what did games mean to you and, and things like that? Yeah, well, uh, yeah. So I'm, I grew up uh, in the Jeffrey. I'm a Detroit native, 25. I grew up in the Jeffrey's Project for Detroit, uh, and so I'm not sure if you guys have ever been to Detroit, but um, uh, uh, you know it's interesting. Like, generally, like the projects are a pretty dangerous place probably in any city, um, but it's, it's, it's the sense of community, right? Like sense of belonging and sort of a tribe. And so I, I'm definitely, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that, that part of my life for anything. But grew up in the Jeffries Projects in Detroit, uh, raised by a single mother. Uh, my father was murdered before I was born. My brother, his father, I have an older brother, his father passed away from sickle cell uh, pretty early on. And so my mom was 23, 24, sort of just finding herself. My grandparents sort of took on the responsibility of raising my brother and I was raised by a family friend for a big part of my life, uh, and uh, eventually moved back in with my mom. We lived on the west side of Detroit because they imploded the Jeffries Project, sort of forced everyone out. That happened, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately. And so um, uh, one of the things my mom did, because we lived in a pretty rough neighborhood, was uh, put me and my brother in sports and got us summer jobs. And my brother worked at, worked at a meatpacking place. I worked at a cell phone store, and this guy, Sam Udan, uh, just taught me the ropes, man. Without him, I'm not sure I'd be here today. Taught me everything I knew about business, um, about you know hard work, about um, empathy and leadership and management, uh, and uh, just took me under his wing. And by the time I was 17, I was able to own three cell phone stores, Metro PCS stores, uh, helped start a car rental that now has 16 locations in the Midwest and Southeast, um, and just you know been doing business basically since then. Uh, all sorts of stuff. Got involved in tech, worked in venture as a um, uh, apparently, I, 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 I guess this is true because I know everyone is inventor that's African American, but that's the youngest African American to ever work uh, on an investment team in venture capital, um, which is crazy. That totally has to change, and hopefully, that's something that I can do over the course of my career. Um, and, you know, work with Dan Gilbert at one of his companies, Rocket Fiber, on the founding team there. Um, he put $31 million into that company to build uh, a fiber optic ISP and worked uh, directly with the CEO on strategy and some other special projects, uh, and eventually sort of just fell in love with, I mean, I've always been a gamer, but, like, really fell in love with esports um, through, throughout that process, uh, working with Dan and looking at a bunch of stuff in the space and, um, you know, looking to make investments and make partnerships through his FOC, which is the family of companies, 
And um, and we, we didn't really pull the trigger on anything. Now Dan's pretty heavily invested into esports. Uh, but at the time, it was really early. And so I left uh, there and, um, you know, start building uh, companies in the space and looking for opportunities. And uh, we built the company before, raised some money for it. It didn't really work out. Uh, and, you know, took a hiatus, tried to figure a bunch of stuff out. Uh, and decided that this was the right company to build. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, that's great. I didn't know, like, you you like had a ton of business experience before Play Versus, huh? No, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, this is my this is the first time I've uh, been, a, been a CEO at this scale, right? Mm. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I've done uh, a bunch of stuff. That's crazy. Awesome, man. Yeah, I know it did go, uh, but uh, is there anything uh, you'd like to, to add? No, look, we're really excited um, about, you know, introducing esports within high schools um, beyond just, like, you know, that at the highest level, right? Like, because esports is growing and people are excited about it, but because, like, of the positive force that it's going to have in kids' lives. Um, there's 8 million kids today who don't participate in any sports, uh, and, you know, there's an opportunity for them to get engaged, develop an affinity for their school, to just be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. Uh, there's also 8 million kids who do currently engage in sports and here's a way to um, keep them committed to um, you know participating in things and uh, in a school setting and so we know that more kids spend more time playing video games than they do uh, pretty much anything else uh, and so I'm really excited that we can now have these kids recognized for something they enjoy doing something that's fun for them uh, something in which they have a lot of control over uh, and they're passionate about and I can't wait to send hundreds of thousands of kids uh, to college on esports scholarships in the future keep kids off the street, out of game, um, uh, and most importantly, help kids like develop uh, new friendships. Because, you know, most of my friends that I've met, uh, even playing, uh, you know, online, right, if they're like PlayStation, uh, I'm still friends with. Like, they're still my friends today. Some I've never met in person, but we have pretty good connections. Others I have, and develop even stronger relationships. But uh, I think there's something to be said around the benefits of gaming and how gaming brings people together. And so I'm excited that we can introduce that to uh, kids and like their most native form of community, which is school. Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to uh, talk to me. No, thank you. Appreciate it. Up next, Eric Kane and Paul Tassi discuss the fate of loot boxes and how a combination of fan backlash and regulatory saber rattling may put an end to the trend. But first, a quick break. Support for the Forbes Overworld podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask why. Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to their rate and term in real time? And why can't there be a client-focused technological mortgage revolution? Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your tenth, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Forbes. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Everybody loves honey glazed carrots. A great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Your Bloody Mary bar will be the talk of brunch with the vodka I'm stocking. Pile those toppings sky high. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. 
Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Hi, I'm Eric Kane. And I'm Paul Tassi. And today we're going to talk about loot boxes, one of our favorite subjects. Uh, we just learned that the Belgian Gaming Commission has found several different games are in violation of their gambling laws. This is uh, FIFA 18, Overwatch, and Counter-Strike Go. Uh, so these... Uh, they, they, uh, the spokesman for that organization said, now that it is clear that children and vulnerable people in particular are exposed to them unprotected, game manufacturers, but also parties such as FIFA, for example, are called upon to halt, are called upon to halt to this practice. So the Belgian Gaming Commission is finding that these are basically uh, breaking the rules in, in Europe about gambling. So uh, uh they're, each of these companies is facing an 800,000 euro fine um, and basically has to make some changes. We'll see, we'll see if this actually becomes law. Right now, this is just a, a finding. So, uh, and it falls in, in line with other findings like the Netherlands uh, has also found similar things about some of these games. And you know, basically, the problem being that loot boxes with random contents emulate a lot of the stuff that you get from a slot machine, from gambling. Uh, and that in particular, because there are children playing these games, that this becomes very problematic. Well, the the counter argument has always been that like, oh, well, the items that you're earning are not like real life money and they don't have like exact monetary value. So technically it's not gambling, yeah, but it costs I, I, real money. <laughs> yeah. So like it costs real money and the common sense would indicate like if people are paying for this, it has value <laughs> or else, you know, you might not be able to slap a, a dollar amount exactly. And like what a legendary drop in some game is worth or whatever. Sometimes you can, <laughs> but right. just the fact that that kind of economy exists is problematic enough to kind of attract regulatory attention. And this kind of leads into the fact that, lo and behold, in 2018, we are seeing quite a bit of, you know, walkbacking about <laughs> loot boxes across a number of different series. And, like, it may partially be tied to regulatory stuff. It also is almost certainly tied to fan anger and how the marketing campaign for your new game can be entirely overwhelmed by angry fans complaining about loot boxes. Uh, so games are trying <laughs> to avoid that, but star Wars battlefront two. Yeah. So we, we've seen kind of a number of examples of this in action where this whole recent kind of blow up was sparked by battlefront two, which was right up until before launch, they were going to be selling kind of gameplay altering loot boxes where you could like get power upgrades in loot boxes. Um, they decided not to sell the loot boxes at launch. They stripped them out of the game right before launch because of fan pushback. But the system kind of remained in place where you would at least earn loot boxes that would give you these upgrades. Um, but they went back to the drawing board and came back. And now their new microtransaction system is not only really just centered around cosmetics, but they revamped all of progression so that randomized loot box elements, paid or free, are not in the game at all. <laughs> so they went way, way back. Uh, and that's kind of a larger trend we're seeing across a couple different games. Now, have you played it since they made all these changes? I have not. No, not yet. See, neither have I. Well, I, yeah, that's <laughs> the thing. You know, like, it kind of like ruined it for me initially. And like now I don't really have, you know, there's so much else to play. I don't really have a desire to go back and be like, oh, they screwed, they fixed their screwed up, you know, progression system six months later. Like, good job. <laughs> well, part of the problem is they also just have... 
I'm just going to come right out and say it. But the, the new Battlefront games have bad gameplay. Also that, just, yes. <laughs> that's that's know, a separate the gameplay issue. is bad. It's like it's not even as good as Battlefield games, which they're sort of based on. And I'm not even a huge fan of the gameplay in Battlefield. Mm-hmm. I like the concept of Battlefield. And I like the concept of Battlefront. But the uh, the shooting, the gunplay, I just can't get into it. It, it just does not feel good to me. And uh, just, I don't know. I just... I. But I mean, I guess that's a that's a side point to the, to the larger <laughs> conversation. I go off on on a tangent here, but um, these other games, though, that the Belgian Gaming Commission is talking about, Counter Strike Global Offensive, you know, that's a that's an old game now. That's been out for years and has had a loot crate system in place long before even Overwatch. And, and Overwatch is kind of the um, they, they kind of started the trend in AAA, you know, non Valve games to have loot boxes. Um, yeah, it's also it has, it's interesting Overwatch is caught up in there because everyone's like, oh, well, those are cosmetic, you know, upgrades and they don't have any impact on gameplay. But like, I always thought that w- when regulatory, you know, stuff came into effect, they wouldn't care whether it was <laughs> cosmetic no. or gameplay altering. Like, they don't. Th- these gambling rulings are not about like the fairness of what's being <laughs> gambled for, for game, and how it yeah. affects the game. Like, if it's a gambling element, it doesn't really matter if it's cosmetic or if it's you know gameplay altering which is why i think when when battlefield did this they or battlefront did this they didn't even want to have a loot box system in place at all and uh, what else has happened they it's like shadow of more uh shadow of war took out their loot boxes um destiny yeah which was so silly in the first place it was a single player game what the heck were they thinking yeah and they did it like six months <laughs> later for their launch of their dlc and it's like okay you should have realized this like six days after launch yeah, it already broke the game yeah. completely and that's yeah. like essentially what they said too they're like we realized that like this really dampens you know broke enjoyment the of the game it's like yeah no kidding everyone <laughs> every reviewer told you this at launch that was more of a publicity yeah. stunt than anything but um right. and then destiny 2 for their event engrams, at least like that are essentially their loot boxes. They made them so you couldn't purchase them. Like you could only earn them through gameplay uh, and you just, you flat out couldn't buy them at all. Uh, so that's, I don't know. There's a lot of, you know, that's a kind of a weird thing. Like if you can only earn them through gameplay, but can't buy them that like really favors young people who have lots of time to play. Like I get that there's like a place time and place for like allowing people to buy stuff. You know, this is why I think Fortnite does such a great job. They don't have loot boxes, first of all. Uh, but, like, you can earn stuff just through playing or you can, you know, pay a little to to get ahead. I think that's a pretty good model. Um, speaking of Fortnite, I think that this may be a new trend in how, how revenue streams are created because they do such a good job with the Battle Pass. Uh, and there's no RNG. There's no loot boxes at all. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if that catches. Yeah, on. I mean, Fort, Fortnite's uh, existence itself is kind of representative of how loot boxes are declining because you normally would have imagined a game that popular with that many, uh, you know, with with the ability to have so many cosmetic additions to it would have loot boxes. Like you would almost assume it would, and the fact that it doesn't, and it just has this kind of somewhat subscription based battle pass system, and then the ability to just buy stuff outright which is kind of like an archaic <laughs> microtransaction at this point. And like the fact that they ran with that and they're making just tons of money with it really, really says a lot. And I think it sets, you know, a precedent that you don't have to have loot boxes to be like an insanely profitable game. And people might end up liking your game more and playing it more if they can earn the rewards, you know, <laughs> without randomization and without loot boxes instead of the frustration of loot boxes. I think there's just, it just became oversaturated. Cause like I, 
I am well known among the Forbes crew of like spending, having spent a good amount of money on loot boxes, but like even it just wore me out eventually because there were just too many games with these. And like, I'm not going to just keep buying loot boxes in all these games. So I ended up buying them in none of them now because <laughs> it just, it was like this never ending thing and it just never, it just didn't seem worth it in the end, even for games I, I really like. So it was just so overwhelming. I think it's it's just burned a lot of people out, and now we're seeing kind of a reversal, of course. Yeah. On the other hand, like if you look at Fortnite, there the battle pass is a great deal, and encourages play, and you get a lot of stuff out of it. But the actual skins are very expensive. I mean, like I bought a couple skins, and you know, two thousand V bucks for a legendary is like twenty dollars, basically. Yeah, it's like League of Legends style, essentially. Yeah. It's it's pricey, but I mean. They're cool skins and they're, they're, you know, at least you know what you're going to get though. You know, that's what, you know, like you might get more for your money spending $20 on Overwatch loot boxes. You might end up getting several different skins, but you might get duplicates. You might get, well, they, they made that better, but in the beginning you might get a lot of duplicates and you might just get skins for characters you never play. And you know that the randomness of it is what makes it fun to some degree and addictive to a large degree. But, uh, you know, it is nice to just be able to say, hey, like, I'm going to just buy this skin. And also, also, Fortnite is free to play. we got to keep emphasizing that. It's free to play, so you don't have to pay for any of this stuff. You know, it's a little bit more ridiculous when there's a game that costs $60 to be asking people to even pay for $20 skins. You know, I think that's a little absurd. Although... Yeah, people are pretty... You know, because you could say, oh, everyone's going to adopt the Battle Pass system. But, like, <laughs> are people going to reject a Battle Pass system when your game already costs $60 up front? Like, that's <laughs> yeah, kind yeah. of asking a lot to pay $10 every couple months plus yeah. microtransactions. It, plus, I mean, I guess it's not worse know. than what is in place now with how things work. But, you know, imagine a, a Destiny-type game, right? And instead of DLC that costs, you know, $20 and, and everything, that you have a Battle Pass system for it. And, you know, there's all these different things you can earn. I'm not saying Destiny specifically, but something like that. You know, a shooter, shared world shooter, whatever. And you've got, you know, you pay for the season or you don't. You don't even have to. And then this is a new revenue stream that that allows the developer to make money, allows players to, you know, earn some new rewards if they want to. I think it could work. I don't think you can charge 2,000 V-Bucks for a, for a skin in a premium game, though. Probably not. I mean, I don't think... <laughs> Though people will try. They'll try. They'll try, for sure. <laughs> and you can't you can't get people with this gambling stuff if you're just selling microtransactions. So that's that's another reason yeah. why these are going to be appealing. Well, yeah. Well, another trend I've noticed is that it's all, it's being used as a selling point now <laughs> if your game does not have loot boxes. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, for, for the Spider-Man reveal, they're like, we don't have loot boxes. Like, that was like an announcement. <laughs> and, you know, in a game like, like Far Cry didn't have loot boxes, they had really weird microtransactions that were totally pointless yep. <laughs> kind of like assassin's creed but even worse um and then god of war obviously has not had any microtransactions i don't think and i don't think it will because like i don't <laughs> I know what it would even sell but like there's certainly no loot boxes in there even though theoretically i mean there's a lot of loot in that game and rpg elements and things you could potentially have, have put in that but like you god help us if that box. game you know? Is tainted by loot boxes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean that's the problem with a lot of these games. Where like Destiny Two is one of the be- best examples. You know, loot is the point of the stinking game. Like you can't just start like putting that kind of stuff in boxes. 
that was that was Diablo 3's problem with the with the shop, you know? Like yeah. this is the point of the game. As soon as you take that stuff that's the point of the game and you you carve it out and put it in a, a store, it it, yeah, it, and it diminishes the game. Again, the cosmetic not cosmetic divide doesn't even matter. It, like it's, like we saw that in Destiny where like yeah, everything in the Eververse store was pretty cosmetic for the most part, like ghost shells and and uh sparrows and you know armor is now useless to the point of being cosmetic so like technically they weren't selling power or anything but the fact that they were selling stuff people wanted period was itself the problem and like the fact that you couldn't earn the coolest looking sparrow in the game any way other than just getting it randomly from an engram drop even if even if you could still earn engrams slowly like it still sucked it still was worse than like oh, I just got this as a nightfall drop or something. Like, it just makes the game worse for everyone yes. by having a system like that in place. And, like, Shadow of War was probably even a more clear example of that. But it's it doesn't have to, like, unbalance your game to make it worse is, is the point I'm making. Very true. Because what's the point of Destiny? It's A lot of it is to look cool, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that, like, a huge part of why people play Destiny? You want to get this cool-looking armor and you want to look cool. You want to walk around in your cool looking armor. And like, that's just, that is a big part of what you play these games for, you know? And so, yeah, you start to put that stuff, you start to hide that stuff away in microtransactions or loot boxes. It's kind of a, it's kind of a big deal. Yep. Well, we're seeing a downward trend is the point. And we're seeing, uh, you know, these various government, you know, we see politicians here in the United States that are taking a look at loot boxes. And, you know, if the industry is smart, they're going to just keep on pushing the brakes so that they don't get a lot of governments involved. And yeah, you don't want to start expensive. building your entire monetization model like the, to be solely reliant on gambling, you know, something that might get regulated out of existence. Like that's pretty risky. But I, EA is going to r- probably run into more trouble than most because like if they go after FIFA Ultimate Team and if they declare like that, you know, gambling or whatever, mm-hmm. like that is like the core <laughs> of the revenue stream for their entire sports yeah. division. And like, that's going to be a meltdown for them if that happens. So well, see they're Icarus. They flew too close to the sun. <laughs> they took something that no one was complaining about that was flying under the radar. I mean, the FIFA community wasn't throwing a huge fit as far as I could tell. And then they, they tried to do it in a, in a genre where people really do care about this stuff. And and their you know their wax wings melted and they're crashing down now. So they've got to <laughs> they've got to figure something else out. I don't know. It will be interesting to see if you know if Europe goes after. Well, FIFA now we see what game. happens with Anthem because that's mm-hmm. they're already talking about like oh we've learned our lessons and like you know don't worry about Anthem and I so I am very curious to see how Anthem monetizes itself <laughs> it's, whether it will have any loot boxes at all or what what it does. The one-two punch of EA and Bioware learning their lessons is really funny to me. Like EA, yeah, okay, they ha- I'm sure they have learned their lesson to some degree with the loot boxes. Has Bioware learned their lessons from the last couple of Mass Effect games and Dragon Age? You know, the combination of the EA corporate publisher and Bioware's weird <laughs> decision-making in the last few games. Like, I don't know. I, I, Anthem looks like a cool game, but I'm I'm honestly more trepidatious than anything about this. You know? Oh, I'm certainly more trepidatious about that <laughs> than I am immediately thinking it's going to be amazing. But I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm curious like, to play it. But. It looks fun, but also this, oh, this insistence on everything having to be co-op. Why does everything have to be co-op? Well, this is, this is the thing. Is like they're, they're clearly chasing 
Destiny, but it's going to arrive, what, like five years after Destiny first came out? So, like, I don't know. It better it better somehow improve it by leaps and bounds. And, I mean, personally, I don't, I'm just not that huge of a third-person shooter person. So, yeah, by I mean, default, I think it's going to be tougher to like, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, you like the Mass Effect games. They're third-person shooters. Yeah, I would say combat was not the strongest part of why I liked the Mass Effect games. Exactly. Andromeda's combat was actually the best in the series, to be honest. But yeah, still, I'd, I'd take you know Destiny or Call of Duty gunplay over that for the most part. Yeah, you know what I've always said is I like third-person action games like God of War, Dark Souls, things like that. And I like mm-hmm. first-person shooters. Yeah. You know, I just I, the, the, the two different perspectives have such a different uh, impact on how you play a game, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, this is why, like, I, like Skyrim never really feels right to me. You know, like it's a it's a first person. I mean, you can play in third person, but it really is a first person. It, yeah, the, third, third person, person is so weird in Skyrim; it doesn't work at all. It's fake third person. Yeah. You know, if if Skyrim had, I mean, some okay. So like, Dishonored really does first person sword fighting pretty well. You know, so if Skyrim or like a game like that could do that, maybe it'd be fine. But I don't know. I just, I, I, again, I'm getting off on a tangent here. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the next Elder Scrolls will be filled with loot boxes. It's, it's our it segment. We do what we want. <laughs> That's right. We do what we yeah. This is our segment. We do what we want. <laughs> no one can tell us otherwise. Uh, yeah. So. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the trend is pretty clear. And while loot boxes are not gone away, like I, it is very hard for me to imagine just Overwatch, like cutting loot boxes. And like, how would a game like Hearthstone cut? card packs which are essentially loot boxes like i don't even think you could do that so yeah it's it's kind of a case-by-case basis but i I do think we're definitely seeing very significant moves in kind of the other direction when last year i wouldn't have predicted that i would have predicted it would get even worse (laughs) so i'm i'm kind of amazed and yeah yeah, this all really stems from the battlefront 2 stuff which i think is is fascinating but good job ea thank you (laughs) yeah for making this Uh, happen you know, it's it, bringing up card packs is really interesting, though. We should, I, we should touch on that because, you know, like that goes way, way back. Magic the Gathering, you know, that's all built around the idea of buying packs of cards, right? Mm-hmm. Really, like even like basketball and baseball cards are all about randomly finding that great card, right? Yeah. No one's ever – I mean, maybe they have. Have you ever heard of like people saying baseball cards are gambling? No, but like I so – I, so I hear this argument a lot where it's like, whoa, are you going to regulate like trading – card packs for kids and i'm like you know that's not the worst idea i've ever heard as someone who when i was like eight <laughs> probably spent twelve hundred dollars on pokemon cards you had twelve hundred dollars <laughs> like, when you were eight to spend like saving up all my allowance money over the years i don't know i mean like over my whole course of like childhood probably yeah. spending every cent i had trying to get like rare holofoil <laughs> pokemon cards which clearly led into my current loot box addiction (laughs) because like i'm not i'm not like a gambler like that's the thing it's like i think this is separate from gambling in a certain sense where like i might have this innate desire to like gamble on in-game stuff and like in card packs and loot boxes and stuff but like i am not an actual gambler like i really dislike gambling (laughs) like in a casino but there's there's obviously some parallels and like, this is what gets me while gambling doesn't. So I think it's kind of its own form of, you know, susceptibility to addiction that I don't think a lot of people recognize. Well, I think that it's because it's not about buying the loot boxes to get that stuff. It's just about getting that stuff. So like in, I'm going to always bring up dark souls. Well, in dark souls, you get 
tons of different weapons and pieces of armor as you play through the campaign, right? In any of these games. And by the end of the end of the game, you'll have a character that looks very distinct because you found all this cool armor and he's, you know, you have your own set of weapons that you use and, and customizing that character is really great. It's really fun to like get to the end, end with this totally unique character. That's not like anybody else's character. And the same in any, like some, in a lot of MMOs, I used to spend the most time just crafting my character at the beginning, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. spending all this time on the face and making them look unique. And like gamers like me, it's like, we, we want to have a, cool looking character that's not like everybody else's and and that's what these loot boxes really play into like you don't want to just have your basic soldier 76 in overwatch you want that cool looking one that's different than everybody else's you know like we 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 crave that unique interesting aesthetic and you know in a lot of games or games in the past especially you could get that just by playing and then you know whoever figured this out they figured out well people will pay for this stuff you know horse yeah. armor right in skyrim <laughs> uh or was that oblivion uh that was oblivion yeah oblivion that was like um, one of the first ones that was so controversial oh man i know <laughs> I imagine that well now. it's interesting for me cuz like i found with all the different games i've spent money on loot boxes on it's it's like for different reasons almost each time so like overwatch for me, that was mostly about collection where like I just right. wanted to own all the legendary skins like they were like action figures or something. You know, I was collecting and have the ability to switch between them at any given time, even though, you know, I can own 12 skins for one character. I can only use one at a time and I can only <laughs> use one character at a time. But it was like mostly about collection, whereas Hearthstone was that was about experimentation because unless you buy a bunch of packs and have a bunch of the top legendaries, like you're really locked into only a couple useful decks. Whereas if you own, you know, 95% of a new expansion, you can experiment and the game is way more fun because you can build all these different types of decks instead of just being locked into a few because you didn't pay enough. But then in a mobile game, like Marvel's contest of champions, I'm literally just buying power and like I'm just upgrading my champions and heroes to be more powerful and like to help my alliance in that game. And like, so that's just flat out buying power because it's a mobile game and that's just what they do and no one cares. So like it's different motivations for each one. Yeah. It's like the same mechanic. And I think that's why been, why loot boxes have been so profitable because they tap into kind of all these different desires individual players may have. And like, you might only that only one of those might appeal to you, but I feel like there was kind of something for everyone in the loot box model if you were susceptible to it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, So just in terms of predictions, where do you see this going? I mean, we've seen a decline, right? We've seen some hints and some saber rattling over legislation and regulation and all that. But where does does this go? I mean, like Call of Duty, for instance, they're still going strong with loot boxes. No one even talks about those, really, like... And Overwatch, you know, they're still I think going if you strong. haven't attracted controversy now, you're probably going to keep doing what you're doing. Um, Overwatch, they've already done this, but, like, I think if they just keep being more generous with drop rates and stuff, people won't complain and be placated. I think you will see a lot fewer newer games having loot boxes. Like, I, I haven't heard many new games announced that are even, like, arriving with loot boxes now. Like, almost none. Yeah. <laughs> and... So I feel like if you have loot boxes, like you'll you'll either be forced to scale them back or alter them. And if you don't have loot boxes, you're probably not going to add them now because it's like the wrong moment for that. You know, we should make our own game called Loot Box Simulator. And you just you have a, like a character that can walk around in the house and you just get loot boxes. 
I think someone made. No I saw that on like a Jim Sterling video where like someone made a like a loot box opener, and then you open a loot box, and then inside are more loot boxes of like different rarities. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, you could just, like, there is no gameplay, but you get stuff. You can just customize your guy and your house and stuff, and you just open loot boxes. And that's the entirety of the. I bet people would actually. Sounds like a Sims expansion or something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I think you're right with this. I mean, I think we still have to see where, you know, all the big holiday games land. Um, Yeah, I'm very curious how Red Dead Redemption is going to monetize itself, because that's going to be probably the biggest game of the year i would imagine maybe call of duty will be but it's who knows who's <laughs> call of duty yeah we'll see what state that arrives in but i don't know has, does gta online have like straight up loot boxes or is it just like everything costs so much in-game cash that you have to just buy currency like i thought that's more how it worked and it wasn't really I think loot box based. Currency. so like yeah, they made just ridiculous amounts of money from that system so i would imagine mm-hmm. that they're going to stick with that instead of like jamming loot boxes into red dead but I think you're right, especially with the trend. Um, I don't see that happening. I mean, why, why, why mess around with a model that works that stirred up literally no controversy other than the fact that we never got any GTA Five single player DLC? Which, by the way, we could have a whole podcast. Yeah, that's on a whole other how thing. Crappy that yeah. is, and what a betrayal of. The they fan don't care. Base They're laughing is. all the way to the bank. Um, they are. They're literally so, laughing all the way to the bank. In Black Ops Four. Tackles. I would be. I would put more money on Black Ops 4 having some sort of battle pass system than I would loot boxes. Like even really? though even though Call of Duty didn't really attract controversy, this seems like a moment where they would try something like that kind of just to see how it goes. Like I mean, I don't know how much money World War 2 loot boxes made, but I can't imagine it was like tons and tons and tons because those were just such bad loot boxes <laughs> oh i bet they still made a pretty well penny. just because the game sells so much like by definition they would have to but i feel like they could experiment with something like a battle pass system in in call of duty and you know earn yeah, unlocks throughout a season and whatever but maybe maybe not we'll see Here, here's the thing that activision does with their loot boxes that's very clever and very deceitful um they don't go live at first the game launches, like World War II launched, and about a month later, the loot boxes went live. So when the game launches and when everyone's talking about it, all you've got is, you know, you get you get loot boxes, but you don't have any money to buy them. So you can't, you only earn them through rewards. You can't buy loot boxes. So it seems fine. And then a month later, boom, this, the shop opens up. Yeah, that's can, interesting. I guess they're trading, I mean, they're trading initial revenue for better press, and then they still get the whales in the end that are... <laughs> yep. It's smart for the game to still be playing after like a couple months or whatever. So I, yeah, that's clever. I, I'll give it to him, but I wouldn't be surprised to see it change given the current climate, but I guess we'll see. I, the, the other thing that call of duty does interestingly, uh, just as a quick side note is that, you know, like unlike overwatch where loot boxes are like all you get, right. That's all you get in overwatch. Mm-hmm. You don't unlock weapon. Like call of duty progression is largely about playing to unlock stuff. You know, so you already have kind of a battle pass system in place, just built into the game. Like you play, you unlock new attachments, you unlock new guns, you unlock, and then you prestige and you do it all over again. So the core of that is not, it has nothing to do with their loot boxes. You know, all that stuff you unlock, all that is just through play. And then loot boxes are just cosmetics and XP buffs and things like that. Yeah, I could just see, I could see them moving into like just spacing the cosmetics in loot boxes out into like earned things that are 
in a battle pass system while keeping the current progression system yeah. for actual unlocks. That would be smart, actually. I think that would be a smart system to, to have in place. You could do that with zombies. Came also. up with another article <laughs> article idea. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> These podcasts are great for idea generators. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we've gone on longer than we intended, so we'll, we'll wrap this up. But uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week. See you. That's it for this episode of Overworld. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Perez. And I'm Satchel Drakes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please reach us at overworld at podcast1. That's O-N-E dot com. And also you can reach us on Twitter. My handle is at Satchel Drakes. That's Satchel like a bag with an extra L. And mine is Matt Ryan Perez. Thanks for listening. Take care. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, They are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower... It does not appear to be following, following the rule of law. It is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.